Hello and welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. John Valeka is New Haven and WNHH's criminal justice expert. He's a former assistant police chief, intelligence unit chief, and current sergeant-at-arms for that playground known as the Connecticut State Senate. John is here <laughs> to run down the latest policing news in New Haven. Welcome back, Sergeant-at-Arms Valeka. Nice to be back, Paul. Nice to see you. Special thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. So, John Valeka, lots been going on with the cops in New Haven. And right. luckily, what we're talking about is not any stories these days about maybe they did something wrong or some terrible scandal happened. There's just some really interesting issues happening yep. with policing, stuff that it, it brings up questions you dealt with your whole career. Yeah. Continue to. So I want to ask you about them. And thanks for coming in. Anytime. First thing I want to ask you about is this ongoing question about revisiting our rules for when and how much pot, when pe- people smoked pot and how much they smoked or how recently right. when they want to become cops. We've turned down cops a lot in the past. If I'm not mistaken, it used to be if you smoke pot in the last two years, you're not a cop, right? right. right. And if you ever did cocaine, forget it. Or if you admit you ever did cocaine. Right. And uh, so the city said, the mayor and the police chief said we should change that. So they said, we have a new policy, but they didn't tell us what the policy is. The right. police commission met last week and said, for over an hour in private executive session, we believe it's illegal. It's an honest disagreement between us and the cops. Right. The state information law says that if you are discussing questions on a test, you don't have to reel those, and that's a good rule because you don't give answers to a test. But if you're talking about policy, you have to reveal it because this is of public interest, what your policy is, and we would argue their own draft of what they voted on was called policy. Right. And they're trying to say it's not policy, the thing they called policy. We would argue about what the rules are for when you smoke pot. It's different from a test question of like seven people are yeah. dealing drugs on a corner. How, what are you going to charge them with and who are you going to go first? Yeah. And, and arresting. But in any case, that's one issue. And then they came out and voted and said, we're not going to take a vote on We have a new policy. And the whole debate emerged about does the public have a right to know what your policy is on this? Are you going to, the police are concerned. If we tell you what the answer is going to be on our policy of how recently you smoke pot then you're just going to lie and say how recently you did it That's the answer that came back was there are all sorts of rules that are public in all departments you can't have used this drug you know um, you you have to have this kind of criminal record so anyone can lie about that kind of stuff but a it is good to let the public know we do let the public know about general parameters of what makes a police chief because the public has a has a right and a need to know what kind of cops we're hiring and b you do lie detector tests although those aren't always um accurate and you you have other means at your disposal you're supposed to use like the one they're screw, screwing up royally these days which is do psychological tests right and you're going to evaluate these people in so many other ways including a test with private questions that we're not going to tell the public so you see my bias obviously yes you comment on the story and i love you comment by name something i always loved about you john Valeca. even when you're being criticized you comment by name you've kind of you had a nuanced position on this you didn't agree right. with us so tell me where you're coming from well, first, let me say that I think that <clears throat> they're doing the right thing by being progressive, by changing this policy. It's outdated. It's been like this for years. But we don't know what they have. They might have made it more right. restrictive. So I don't think well, they no, did. I doubt that. Well, they, how do we know? Um, and should well, we know if they made well, it more or less restrictive? But I, but I think if you, could, if you take what they did in context of how Anthony Campbell has been speaking about the hiring process, I think that you could, you could view this as being more progressive. There was a old. cop who went in our comment and stated as a fact that they made it more restrictive, which I don't think is true. But again, I would argue that's what happens when you have yeah, I think government, I mean, unaccountable government that hates the First Amendment, is that if you don't tell people, they're just going to guess all yeah, kinds of that's, things. That's a good point, and I, I completely agree with that. I mean, if there's, a, if there's something out there and you don't like the, the, 
how the story is being told and it's wrong, then you need to come out and correct that regardless of, of what you think may be detrimental. Because that's what's most important is how the public perceives this police department. Right. Uh, but I'll give you a quick example of when I was the chief in New Hampshire. I was hiring there, um, and a candidate came in. Um, he was a Hispanic uh, candidate, Marine, sergeant from the Marines, had a master's degree, great great background. During a time where I really needed to diversify that part, that department, he was a perfect candidate. New Hampshire, uh, yeah, I can imagine. Right. So, you know, that was that was a big thing for me. They had had a shooting where they had they had killed a Hispanic uh, a man from Manchester, um, he was, this guy, long story short, was a perfect candidate. This guy wanted to hire, really wanted to hire this guy. It all but hired him um, until he admitted to smoking marijuana during a deployment a year and a half prior where he was in Honorees. Afghanistan. Right. And to be honest with you, I don't think that that was a big deal. I certainly wasn't going to get, you know, knock him out of the process because of that. I just, you know, I just don't think that that was something, given everything, putting it all on the scale, I don't think that's something where you could have excluded this guy. But by post rules, in New Hampshire, training academy, is the training academy. Officers. I couldn't hire him. And really, what are the rules there? The two years, any any admitted drug use within two years, they will not certify him. So sometimes the police department has to deal with that too, because they have to stay within post parameters. Because what good is hiring somebody? So in Connecticut, if post won't. So then maybe they didn't change the rule. Then, if that's the parameters, and is that the same parameter here? Well, no, I don't believe so. I shouldn't comment on that because I'm not exactly positive what Post has done recently. Like I said, I've been out six years, so they may mm -hmm. have manipulated that and changed that. But I think what you saw in New Haven is more like you have you have some things that are tangentially touching one another, right? You have uh, questions in the hiring process. You have you have policy. I think this is this might be a policy with regard to the interpretation of answers of the testing process. In other words, you're being tested. Here are your answers. How are we going to interpret those? Because it says, but that's not a you. test. An application is not a test. Well, it could it could tangentially touch a test, right? And and if it's part of that process, but the question of how we see smoke pot is what you put on an application. Can't one argue with that's policy? Our policy, when you apply for a job, your application reflects, and everyone sees the application, by the way. So if you're applying for a job and a lot of cops meet other cops in bars, right, when they talk about your potential cops, I want this job. Right. Everyone else has applied, so they know it's on the application. That's a public document. Yeah. So that is going to be known. As a matter of fact, the more I think about this, John, the more I think this is, this is beyond ridiculous and dangerously hostile to any kind of public accountability. Everyone knows it's on a complication. That's different from a test. Application is not supposed to be private. Right. It's supposed to reflect what the rules are. Yeah. We said no yeah, society what the rules are. I do. I agree with that. And and being on the outside, it's hard for us to understand why they're they're they don't want to release this. What well, I, they explained to me, not their lawyer who hates the First Amendment, but they, you know, some of the cops explained it to me, and I really sympathize with them. Right. They said we want to get the right cops on, right. and we don't want to get someone who's going to lie to us about drug use if they have more drug use. Again, I come back to there are all sorts of questions you can lie about on the test based on publicly known policy. You have other secret questions. You have psychological tests, and you're going to size this guy right. up or a woman. I, so, you know, it, it, when I look at these things and, and I try to decide, I kind of imply or apply rather the, the standard that I've used my entire career. You know, what's the benefit here? Does the public have a right? I think they have a right to know. It, does that outweigh our, our, what, what, why we're holding this back. Right, but so do, you you think in practice it, do you think in practice it really does no, I don't, serve even their goal? Me, no, no, privacy. Right. Not having it be public, will the police then succeed in letting people, not letting people know how recently you're supposed to smoke pot if it's an application that other people are filling out and the word gets around? No, I think, personally, I think that the public should, should have a view of, of who we're hiring. I mean, these are the people that are going to police them. I think the public should be able to weigh in on that. And I think that they should know uh, what, but do you think if it is public, or the police write that if if it's known how recently you allowed to smoke pot, 
that we're going to end up getting all these potheads we wouldn't have otherwise gotten. I do agree with, well, I don't want to say potheads, but I think that if you if you send out exactly what you're looking for and exactly what's going to knock you out of the process, what if you I say like, what if you say you need educate this say. this much education? You could lie about that. That's public. Well, that's known. verifiable though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could also call the college and say, listen, you know, he could tell me. He's got so a there are no questions when you list what like every time you apply for a job, there's a public description of qualifications. Right. We're talking here about qualifications. Yeah. So wouldn't that be in that list? How um, the drug use? Well. I think drug use is, is open to interpretation, to be quite honest with you. Now, if you're talking about when I put when I applied back in 1991, right? I had never used marijuana. To this day, I've never used marijuana. That doesn't mean that it, it's come up in my life and I've said, no, 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 no. It just has never come up. The kids that are applying now, marijuana is part of our society and much more mainstream part of our society. It was Chances there when you were coming better. up, too. It was right. there when but you I, too. But I think, though, it's... it's right, society's moving toward legalization. Right. Okay, so, yeah. so it's not viewed the same way. So you're yeah. going to get a lot more people... That have tried marijuana, in my personal opinion, and and if you ask me, I don't think that necessarily because you smoke marijuana in college or whatever, even if you did it a few years back, that precludes you from being. Now, a what good about one officer. year versus two year? What if you what if you said anyone who smoked marijuana can come on? Why well, does we, it have to be even a year? Well, I think that it the year or the time frame lends itself more to like what your lifestyle is now at the at good the point. time of the application. So here's another reason why I think it's so important that this be publicly known. I know a friend of my daughter's who was applying for a police job in New York. Right. His father said to me, the reason I'm so glad he's applying is he knows how long he can't smoke pot before he applies. So it actually helped that it gives you some discipline to know what the rules are. If you want to become a cop in New Haven, you know you're not supposed to have smoked any pot in this amount of time. Right. So wouldn't that be another reason for sunshine? It would sunshine? be good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there, like I said, there are goods and bads. If, if you're asking me, if I were in charge of this, I certainly would open it up. But then again... That's my nature, right? They also have a lawyer who gave them advice on the staff. Right. The same lawyer. And it's very difficult this to, same to not lawyer, take that advice, though. But they, here's what this lawyer did. We wrote about this. I saw. I read it. it, it he went into court. With the Conklin case. Right. right. There was a yeah. cop accused of misconduct. We wrote an article that the cop was accused of misconduct. Then there's a federal trial. And he actually makes a case to a judge that because a news outlet wrote an article about misconduct, therefore, there should be no trial. Which is so fundamental about First Amendment in our society. You're supposed to question whether police commit misconduct, and that should not make it less likely, but more likely that the court system deals with it. So the police commission knows they have this rogue, idiot, hater of the First Amendment giving them legal advice. You really think they should be relying on him to tell us whether policies that are called policies should be allowed? publicly discussed at a at a commission meeting well if that's the case then if they if that's the way they view him which i'm not sure it is but if they don't view him i have a problem with that well this was shown in open court he got a lecture from a federal judge saying i'm going to tell you about this thing called the first amendment sir in the middle of a trial understood but if he's still in that position now i don't i'm not agreeing or disagreeing on one way but if he's still in that position He's the corporation counsel, and he, he has to be adhered to what he, his decisions need to be. Okay, and then a reporter comes who was checked with the Freedom of Information Commission who says there's a clear pattern of legal decisions that says if something's a policy, it has to be discussed. You're still going to follow the lawyer. Well, it, I, I mean, see your point that it's important. It's, it's, you're, in, you're in a very sticky area here. I mean, it, that's, that's not really what you want to do is go against the corp counsel because if something is true, they're going to have to defend that. Mm-hmm. And you have to give them the say, to be honest with you. I would follow that 
even if I didn't agree with that, because it's the court of counsel. It's I know I'll come down hard on this First Amendment. I'm not as open-minded as I should be. Well, you know, I, I, no, I, I understand. As a reporter. You really got a great conversation going in the comments section of The Independent about this. I just want to read a few of the things people said. And we're talking about policing issues and whether it should be publicly discussed the policy in which cops get hired based on marijuana use here on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM, 103.5, and live stream New Haven Independent.org. We're talking to John Valecker, retired uh, New Haven assistant police chief and New Hampshire police chief, Sergeant Arnes at the Connecticut Senate, and most importantly, most impressively, the criminal justice expert <laughs> on our radio station. Here's some things people wrote about the police commission's decision not to publicly reveal what they're voting on that will change. A cop wrote in, the public has a right, a cop is usually critical of the independent for being right. anti-cop. The public has a right to know if there's a change in hiring standards, especially if it has to do with drug policy. I can assure you this was even kept from the rank and file of the department. And somebody else wrote in, Nobody has a 67-minute meeting, comes into public and votes whatever the last incarnation in rubber stamp mode and not have it be substantive. Um, nothing breeds distrust of the cops more than when they play whack-a-mole with public policy. Maybe they lowered the standards, so now we have a bunch of drug-idled cops, so that's your point. Hill North said one of the changes New England Police Department in their hiring process, um, and this other person makes actually makes the, the argument that uh, what it is, so now we have to trust whether that's true or not, you said that um, it might be more of a classification of a policy process or any existence. So given that it wasn't a new policy, you, John Valeca, wrote that maybe disclosing details of the hiring process can compromise the validity of the results. Good point. That was the point of the police people who were trying to keep this private, in our opinion, illegally. Disclosing details of the hiring process can compromise it, and that if we're disclosed, you remove a candidate for using marijuana within one year, then every candidate would not admit. Well, then maybe if you're going to say we got these people would be liars. Don't we want to find out if there's liars and smoke them out rather than give them a chance not to lie so we can't find? I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's I mean, a yeah, I, it's, there's a lot of angles you could take on. Then that. somebody said, when there's a problem getting information, there's usually a problem with the information. Someone responded to you just before you, John, before you apply to any police department, they let you know what will disqualify you from the process. For instance, our, one of our local departments writes to people, you candidates might meet the highest legal and ethical. Uh, standards, no applicant accepted with any drug-related conviction. Candidates undergo a rigorous background investigation, including a polygraph. And uh, so your point was that certain things can be um, verified, so that's not a problem about lying, because we find out. And then you will thank you, I stand corrected. And uh, so I don't know, so where do you come out in the end here? Well, I, I, never, I read that comment, and I, and I and thank stand Thank you, corrected. by the way, but thank you for having such an open-spirited debate. We have a strong point of view. You put your name, and you listen to what other people say. Yeah, I, know, I, I like to engage the people in the, the independent. They also, That's what makes you so great at the police department. They have a legitimate concern, yeah. you know. It's in, but I think that uh, I think Hill North was was the guy who uh, sent that back. But you'll woman. see, or woman who put that in there. Sorry, <laughs> um, you're yeah, going to see in there. It says uh, recent drug use, and I think that's what you need to pay attention to. Say, because I always said to myself when when you know I had any kind of input into the hiring process was, well, what is recent drug use? What do we consider? recent drug use and you could really be looking at the board of police commissioners could have been trying to interpret that they brought corp counsel and they brought the chiefs so and you're they saying it's interpretation of a policy right they're trying to figure so. okay what what is exactly recent drug use is it one year is it two years is it five years what's the drug what drug so then is you it? and i aren't lawyers is? so you're saying that's not necessarily a new policy discussion i would argue you're still discussing right. policy as opposed to a test result I mean, question. Th that's what you would say and i would say and like i said in the comment we've had a few years where we've had a couple couple different chiefs who kind of just broke with how the way we used to do things right they didn't apply they kind of went by the seat of their pants and said listen this is what we've been doing kind of sort of loosely 
and they didn't really apply policy. So the policy sat, got stale, and got old. So now you have a, a battery of young ex- command executives who want to do things by the book. They go back to they get the policy that's been written in 1975, and they say, geez, this needs to be. But I still think it's clear you know, that if they're revisiting a policy, that's a policy discussion. It's not a test question. It could, but it's going to touch on the testing results. So I see. Why is that a test? It's not the test. They don't say in the test. Well, the when te- did you use pot? They say in an application. When did you last smoke pot? Well, in that's the, different from a test. In the, well, in the background, are you sure? Yeah, I get where you're going with that. I mean, it, it's a battle. It's between a test and an application. Yeah, right, right. Um, so I get I where you're going. I kind of see where you're at. I see where you're at where the result matters. Yeah. Because you want to have the best possible cops. So, uh, I mean, I do see it, and I, I, I do see a little bit of why they're keeping it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a battle you need to fight is what I'm getting at. If this thing starts to grow legs and we look that we look like we're hiding things. Well, they, they are hiding things. I think that's, we just that's a fact, John. There, they're hiding you know? things. Now, the question is now, even though we would have accepted this compromise because we're wimps, even though I think we'd still be writing the law, they'd say, we don't want to tell you the exact amount of time. I still think they should. But if they just said, we were talking about marijuana use and we're lowering the amount of time and marijuana use, but right. we don't want to tell you exactly how much. We would have been okay with that. I still think it would have been wrong well, on law, but they wouldn't even been. go that far. Right. But, but we're who, the only one ever go right, but we're the only ones who ever go to these things anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean if they really wanted to have right. a practice. I wish they weren't so much in the bunker. You know, Maybe they need new lawyers, but I also think it's in the instinct of the very good men and women who run our department, I think are just horrible on the first and fourth amendments. They're not horrible people, their motives are wonderful, they're better people than I am, they're perfectly ethical. Yeah. In most cases. But but yeah. they don't I think I just think they have a real problem, and it's shown up in how their cops do their job and don't get disciplined for openness to the government, up to the public, First Amendment discussion, and Fourth Amendment searches, season, just rights to the public to hold the police accountable. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, and that's a, a very progressive viewpoint, right? But it, but it's it's a legit but progressive one. as of thirty years ago. This isn't today, twenty eighteen. Right, it's been a whole generation it's a, it's of this. A, you mean, you're talking to me, so I yeah. agree with you. Um, but listen. Like I used to say, the only thing copies more than change is the way things are, right? <laughs> so they don't, you know, traditionally things have been done a certain way and we told the public certain things. And it's very difficult to break with that and get everybody on the same In New page. Hampshire, when people applied to be a cop when you were the chief. Yeah. Did, what, did they know publicly how recently they could have used yeah. marijuana? Yes. Oh, my God. So it was New Hampshire publicly. is a different animal. Everybody they have they want to know everything up there. You so know? wait a second. So you already as police chief, you were chief of department right. that already told people that wasn't you already publicly said if you want to apply, you can't have used marijuana in the last two years. Well, what we would do is we would put our application out, tell them what we're going to do, and also link to uh, the post guidelines. So they were which up. would state that. Yeah. So what's the big deal? Did you end well, up having like potheads who lied and got on the force? Oh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> that's the thing. Maybe I don't know. You know, because when the question came up, did you use marijuana in the, in the past two years? You know, most of the people that got hired said no. Uh, to this guy's credit, the guy I was just talking about, he admitted to that, knowing full well that, you know, in the last two years, but it, which was even more of a reason why. And I liars are going to be liars was, whether or not you have that question. Right. They're going to lie about other things too, and you right. got to smoke them out yeah. however you can. It's very you got to be good at smoking them out, though. Yeah, yeah, and that is a real issue about lying. I just don't know that if making one small part of the application harder to lie about is going to weed out liars. It just means you can make a liar not lie about that. I think you have to just take everything through this whole hiring process and view it, you know, together, you mm-hmm. know, and, and really make a decision on the candidates, uh, you know, personality, integrity, honesty. 
Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does things they shouldn't have done. I'm sure nobody, in, a lot of these kids in college weren't even, maybe even thinking about getting on the police department. So they weren't saying, hey, I'm not going to smoke pot because, you know, a few years down the road, I'm going to want to be a cop. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to be a good cop. Now, look, I agree with you. Put it out there. If you're, if these are the cops that are going to be coming to my house, I want to know. I would like to know who they are, what they did, mm-hmm. right? So I can understand that end of it, too. But I can't attest to the exact reason why they're withholding it. But what I can attest to is this. Rachel Kane, Tony Reyes, and now Herbie Johnson, is Anthony Campbell to a degree, but not very much. But at least those three, they work directly for me on my staff in the detective division. These are very, very honest people. Okay, very adept at what they do, and they are not the kind of people to hide behind anything. So they hid, they hid this. Well, there's, there may, there's, in my mind, when I view this, Paul, knowing the people involved, there has got to be a very one legitimate reason why they are, or two, a very strong order from the people that they can't go against to do this, right? So it, when I see Rachel coming out and talking about, put it this way, if Rachel goes in there. I have a lot of respect for her. I don't think she's out to like fool us no, or hide stuff. No, absolutely not. And I, I, can just tell disa- you, I just disagree with the reason. If she's going to make a stand and say, this is something that we, we don't have to disclose, you can bet that Rachel has researched that and gotten she a She cited a case that you, don't, that you don't have to make public the questions on a test. Right. There was no case about applications or policy. Right. Well, here's the thing. You challenge it. And you let we the are. commission decide. We filed right? that. Yeah. So now the commission decides. Now this comes up again. You don't have a problem. The problem is the commission is weighted to our cops. We're going to push it. And I think they should be because you have to make sure they get out. Yeah. Now, I, I don't think they mind. I have won. I have gone to the commission and won against the police on some stuff. But I remember losing one case where there was a murder case in New Haven. A prostitute was murdered. A high ranking cop was at the scene. There's a police report written and a whole question about that. And 18 years later, this is the dugout that was never case? solved. Excuse me? The dugout? No, no, it was at the bridge at, at, near Wilbur High School. Oh, okay. And um, we went up to the Freedom of Information Commission, and we said, this has never been solved. It's been a closed case for a long term. Time, there's a legitimate question about whether someone in a top-ranked police department yeah. might have been implicated, and this report has it. And a high-ranking cop was no longer there, testified it's an open case, so we, it'll jeopardize our case if it's released. And I asked the cop, when's the last time you looked at anything about this case? I don't remember. When's the last time anyone contacted you about this case? Don't remember. When's the time there was a new lead? So it's clear that they were protecting someone and they had zero evidence that it was truly an open case except that we'll listen to anything that comes forward. And the commission still ruled on the city's behalf because basically a cop was willing to lie on the stand even though he might not have ever gotten questions in advance about how recently he smoked marijuana. A top-ranking assistant chief lied on the stand, I believe. And the commission believed, and I understand why, they had to side with the police because they're not privy enough and they don't want to jeopardize an 18-year-old murder case. I don't know. So when I worry about cops lying, I'm not worried about marijuana questions. I'm worrying about, right, right. in I, fact, I somebody saying. you mentioned, your group of people trust so much. I saw him lie to my face about something once I'd just seen and just said, too bad, I'm going to lie about it. So... I'm not worried about the question. <laughs> Let me change gears here. We're talking to John Valleca. Always a pleasure. He, was, he used to run the New Haven Police. He now is the Connecticut State Senate. Um, Sergeant at Arms. I love that title. I, I feel <laughs> yeah. like a crest, a family crest from 300 yeah. years ago with your picture on it. And you're also, very important. Yep, and you're a criminal just expert here on Dateline New Haven, WNHHFM, 103.5 live stream at newhavenindependent.org. There was another case that caught my interest. It wasn't a big case. But it made me wonder about how police investigate and how they enlist the public or not. So two Fridays ago, a press release went out from the police and said that this, uh, this spiritual leader named Ramzi Musalam, 
was visiting from DuPont, Pennsylvania. He calls himself the Archbishop of the Catholic Church of the East. And he said, I was parking at a valet service near Yale New Haven. And I had 30, what was it, $37,000 worth of, uh, no, $73,000 worth of jewels and religious items were stolen from my car. And he had photos and a long list of what each of those items was, dozens of them, and how much they each cost. Uh, you know, everything from like computers and video games to crowns and religious objects, jewels, and it left in his red Cadillac. And he said, and he asked the police to publicize this. He even called the TV station to cover it. He called back Pennsylvania TV station, please cover this. And, the, and it was reported as, he reported this, and we're looking into it. The TV headlines were, Jewel, $70,000 of jewels stolen from a car. I looked at it, it looked very fishy to me. How often does someone report something and ask that it be publicized? And I looked, and just a cursory look online, it turned out he had reported a similar theft at his church to the local TV in Pennsylvania a few years ago. It turned out that his whole religious credentials have been deeply questioned about whether there is this position of Archbishop of the Eastern Church, and there's been a debate about that. There was a, um, there was a, uh, um, he claims to have his church on hallowed ground where the, one of the 9-11 jets crashed, and he has a whole foundation there. And it, it just alarm bells went off for me, and I'm sure it did for the police too, because they're a lot smarter than I am about stuff like that. <laughs> So if someone reports a theft, mm -hmm. first of all, is it common in your experience that they would have this itemized list of all these expensive things they left in their car with photos and asked to have it publicized right away? No. <laughs> no. I mean, no. What would you have done? Would you have issued a press release to say? No. Like, how would you, what no. would you have done? I wouldn't have given it any press coverage because a lot of times the press coverage is what they're going to use to make an insurance claim instead of the police report. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it smelled like to me. Yeah. So I tried to write it. I didn't have more information, but I tried to write it in a way that it couldn't be used in a police report. How right. often do people send you itemized? How often do people park at valet services um, with all that? Why would all that stuff be in the car? No, they don't. And they usually would take some high value items. They usually take, I mean, I'm not going to tell you it hasn't happened before. It has. Uh, to that degree, probably not. Uh, but no, a lot of people, if they're valeting their car and they have something about it, they take it with them. Uh, we've also had cases where people will stop at the train station and they're going to park their car for, you know, a weekend and they'll come in and give it to us for safekeeping. And we'll hold oh, it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But so, you know. What would you do as an investigator if you were in charge? Because you used to be in charge of detective division. Would right. you have assigned detectives to it? Uh, with that degree of money, I would have assigned a detective to it, but the detective wouldn't have been able to do a whole lot, to be honest with you on that. He probably would just take the report. And basically, and, uh, if it is a scam, we're not saying it is because we mm -hmm. don't want to get sued. If it is a scam. Right. That insurance report and just a police report might be enough to get it covered. Um, well, the, get what? Uh, get the get the insurance company. Well, the, I can tell you that the insurance company is probably going to do a more exhaustive investigation than the police are going to do before they remit that kind of money. Um, but we would look at it. I mean, the officer, the detective, is obviously going to say he's he's going to cast the doubt that we're casting. You know, he's going to put in there that this is a this doesn't happen all the time, and it was strange at this and. Did you, ever, did you ever feel, did you ever worry about getting played as a detective? Or maybe oh, yeah. you do from everybody sure. in every kind of case. Yeah. Murder, robbery. Oh, yeah. We always false yeah. identity. I mean, Everyone's always playing. It's sort of like a yeah. reporter. Everyone's yeah. playing us, too. You know, very rarely are people truthful right from the beginning with regard to things like, like this, even witnesses. You know, even witnesses and yet you have to be fair, right? Yeah, you, you have, have to, to be, be skeptical, sure. right? You can't just believe everything you're told, right. but you also don't assume people are lying. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of the roundtable discussions that, as detectives, we have with regard to cases. People will bring up different perspectives and you'll go back and forth and you'll, you'll hash them out. You Can you remember a case where you guys were sure someone was BSing you? It turned out they were telling the truth. Oh, 
I mean, it's happened. I can't recall an exact case now. You know, I, I personally, as a detective, have have had that happen to me a few different times where, you know, in an said, this smells you know, fishy. And they said, oh, my no, God, well, I, that person really was buying a, 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 you know, said you're, you're buying lying. a soda at three lying. in the morning. And, but it turns out that they actually were telling the truth. Um, I think it's more like they don't they don't a lot of times they don't give information that's not true they just won't give information that they know you know so that's a lot of a lot of it but they, you know they they do that a lot and, but you, uh, you can't think of a case where someone you were sure they were lying it turned out to be true it sounded so implausible and it was one that one no case i can't in recall, but I, I certainly know it's i certainly know that it's happened where i've had to eat crow on a few occasions where <laughs> so i've had to eat crow a lot often you have my friend you've, you've been privy to that um the other, I wanted to ask you about the um, switch gears a little out of New Haven right now. Right. You know, a lot of people in law enforcement talking about the gun control debate has resurfaced every time we have a massacre. Yeah. Parkland School, a high school in Florida where it was shot up by a 19-year-old gunman with an AR-15. We're having the same conversation we always have. Yeah. And we're getting stuck the way we always have. States like Connecticut are passing more gun control. And, you know, I had two reactions to this. And I'm really, you know so much more about this than I do, John Valleca. My two reactions were, okay, here's the familiar debate. Because of the NRA, we can't really do anything serious about it, and it's not going to end. Like in Florida, all they're doing is arming teachers. They're not going to stop 19-year-olds from right. getting this. But I thought separate from the debate that I have a side on, even though I'm not an expert by any stretch, something else struck me different about this case. This 19-year-old guy who committed the massacre, he cried out for help in so many ways. He touched, and people who knew what he was up to went to multiple law enforcement agencies, local and federal, said this guy's going to shoot up the place and he's got right. all this arsenal. Yeah. And so there are real legitimate questions. Should the 19-year-old be by it? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Should we have stricter gun controls? Amber, are you stopping? They're not fine. But in addition to that, even if we had gun control, we, why is it that the FBI and the local state department got such repeated information that seemed like a smoking gun, so to speak? Why was it the mental health agency should have been in the picture? Why is it that the government himself making it clear that he's a danger to do this didn't prevent this from happening. What's your assessment? I, I think I, I think like everybody else. I think that you know the, the ball was dropped in a lot of different places. I mean, I think the FBI came out very quickly and said, "Look, yeah, you know, we, we failed." Here. I was actually sympathetic out. at first the FBI because I'm figuring that all day they must get so many tips they of do. disturbing social media messages. Right. So my first reaction, I was disagreeing with this with my wife. I said, "You know, I'm really sympathetic to the FBI." They must get way more tips than they can handle, and they all sound crazy. They all sound dangerous. Yeah. So you got to do triage. But then more came out to prove her right because there was more specific information. Because I said that name is a common enough name, you know. Yeah. But then it turned out that right now, city information came out. It turned out sheriff deputies were told yeah. repeatedly. It turned out that um, that he himself had reached out for help. So. Okay, the ball was dropped, but why? Was it a structural systemic problem, John Vilekin? Well, I think there's something wrong with the agencies that both law enforcement agencies and its non-law enforcement agencies it works with. Are they not able to deal with what should be a layup? No, I, I think that they can they can deal with it. I think if you my personal opinion, and I don't have any insight to this at all, just from seeing what's going on and dealing with what we dealt with here, was that a lot of times so you have three agencies involved, right? You have the local police and you have the sheriff's office and then you have the federal government. Sometimes a call will come into the local police and they'll say, hey, this needs to go to the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office will say, hey, this goes to the FBI. The FBI will say, no, it's going back to you. And they'll say, no, it's going back to you. Before you know it, nobody's looking at it, right? So everybody's passing the ball on whose responsibility it is, who would be best to handle it, and then nobody handles it. And we've had that happen, not on, on the 
case, you know, with the magnitude of this case, but we've had that on, on a number right, of you never cases. know which one's going to be the one that's a mass shooting as right. opposed to someone just shooting so, himself or so there are parameters that bottle. the FBI has before they are going to accept something and look at it. In other words, they expect us to do all the groundwork to put a case together and give that to them. They don't, they don't want us to just call them and say, Hey, listen, look at this guy. They want us to still say, that's your job. If there's something substantial, they need to send have it to us. the relationship that the FBI has in New Haven, in New Haven when sure. they work so closely together and everybody wants to do right. their job. They're not so, blaming each other doing CYA. hundred percent. So yeah. if you were, if you were in New Haven and you were a cop or you're, you're, you're a Lieutenant in the bureau, or whatever the case may be, and you get this, one of your detectives comes up and says, Hey, this guy is making these posts. What should we do? Before I decide what to do, I'm going to call over to the FBI and say, Hey, so-and-so you want this, you want me to do it. What do you want to do? But how do you get too many of them, John? Are there enough? Uh, are there few enough that you actually can do while you're dealing? Because every day, everybody's resources are stretched. Right. So you have way too many cases than you can give all the time you want to with the yeah. people you have available. Like I know as a reporter, you know, it's such a small fraction of what you dealt with in law enforcement. We have enough people telling us really interesting sounding stories about what might be going wrong. Right. And with just a few reporters, there are ones we've missed. Yeah. And you have so many more coming in. Do you yeah, think have, you would have, you think if you were in New Haven and got that call, you would do, are you sure you would have gotten this guy in time? Well, I could tell you from experience and, and this is not to say, Hey, we're better than these guys or anything like that. But I could tell you that the detectives I had working for me and my bosses, which is probably why they're assistant chiefs. Now were very meticulous on what they did. They didn't miss very much. And, and they weren't the last thing they were ever guilty of is inaction. In fact, they usually did too much. And then we hit you for that. Well, you're right. <laughs> and I'm watching, I remember Holly Wazlewski, who was one of like the Uber cops, you know, who recently retired. She's now yeah. working with the U.S. attorney. I remember one guy was making threats who was well known to all of us. Right. And he would got in jail for murder, became a street house worker, got in trouble a lot. And he was freaking out and making threats. And she, she was called, she, he wanted to speak to her. Right. And she calmed him down. He turned himself in and no one was hurt. And another time, I remember someone holed up in the house was going to shoot all sorts of people. And they said, will come out only if Sergeant Holly comes. Right. Lieutenant yeah, she had a great relationship out there. I wonder if having cop. cops like that who are so trusted by people who do wrong because they'll, they'll let them know we're going to arrest you for doing wrong, but we're also going to help you and we're going to listen to right. you and we're not going to abuse you. Um, I also wonder, and I don't know how you patent that with policy. Is it a question of just having, you can't make a whole law enforcement anymore that you can have super reporters in every slot. You can't have Holly Wazalewski's in every right. law enforcement right. job. That's true. You can't, yeah. But so you think you would have taken it. You think if this guy had done this in New Haven and you were in the police department, you would have caught it. I think that my, see, well, yeah, I think my detectives would have picked up on that and realized that for what it was. And I could tell you, like we were just talking about, I think that the one thing the New Haven Police Department does better than a lot of departments is they communicate with each other and they communicate with other agencies very well. Uh, you say what you want, but I've been there, I've seen it. We know about the communication. I mean, so, even critics, and I think that that's, myself know that that communication is special. You know, I think that that's where, yeah. Um, the ball was dropped. I, I think you had a lot of agencies in the mix and nobody really took action. But So why? It's not as if the FBI was sitting there saying, you know, ah, we're not going to look at this. The FBI could have very well been sitting there saying, oh yeah, I spoke to the Broward Sheriff's Office and they're going to take care of it. Meanwhile, Broward is probably saying, well, we've referred it to the FBI. Meanwhile, in the in the middle of that, nobody's doing anything And the second it. big question I had about drop ball, John, involved, was it a sheriff's deputy who was at the school? Yes. Who actually left the building when the shots rang out? Yeah, he out. should be ashamed of himself. I'm glad he retired. You know, now his argument was that he did follow policy. Oh, that's that's And that nonsense. he thought the shots were in the other direction. You that's think nonsense. he's lying? Yes, absolutely. Well, well that's, good that's thing ridiculous. he didn't get the test questions about marijuana before he turned <laughs> the office. Okay. So that's ridiculous. Remember. I thought the shots were coming from outside. That, that, that doesn't make, you know. 
one person said to me he's not a cop that their theory was this guy i don't know if it's true this guy was near retirement and that when you get close to retirement yeah. cops and guards yeah. say i'm just too close i'm not going to risk it do you think that's true that's a that's a whole nother issue that nobody in law enforcement really wants to speak about because we don't want to we don't want to make ourselves look bad to a degree but who do we put in sro positions that's school resource officers right school resource school. officers look and this is not to degrade anybody who is a school resource officer but i'm going to tell you this I certainly wouldn't take my most tactically efficient or best assertive officer and remove him from the patrol pool and have him police to school. I put somebody who's not as assertive, not as adept, hoping that he doesn't have to deal with that because, listen, you got to make do with what you have, right? And you still got to believe that every single one of your cops can deal with it if something happens. It, then that, and that's where it really comes down to, look, he may not be the best cop or he or she may not be the best cop out in the Or maybe field, not. But... Can they take care of this kind of a situation? Right. The theory is once in a while in a school, you got to be able to deal with the massacre. You're not going to deal day in and day right. out with the most difficult cases. Right. But I, you know what? Listen, when I when I first read that story, I could tell you directly, Paul, and God, when we first started, I think it was maybe 1999, when we first started active shooter training, the first um, course of instruction, I can remember a lot of cops in my class saying, I'm not going in. I can tell you directly. I can remember more than a handful of those cops saying, I'm not going in if there's a shooter. I can remember that distinctly. And did they these become are people, cops? These were people that were sergeants already, Paul. I was a sergeant when I took this class. These were supervisors oh already. They've all since retired now. But I could tell you that that was a sentiment that was brought out and it caused a lot of rift in the rank and file at one time. That's you know, so guys, interesting, John. Cops wouldn't want to work with each other because of this. You know, we had a, we had a uh, at one time we were doing Sims training, which is the uh, which is almost it's not a live fight, but you're using your own handgun and it's shooting a, a simunition, which is a, like a really small paintball, right? And uh, it you can once you get into these scenarios, they feel like a real life scenario, honestly. And we've had officers surrender their firearms and not want to go into into harm's way. So this is not something that's you know this guy has certainly made that decision not to go in. But he's not the only person that would have made that decision. It's disgusting if you were to ask me. He's a you coward. Can, you can understand it. I don't understand it at all. Not I saying you, don't, not saying you agree with it. You understand. You have to understand why a human being does something. Even right. if they do something Understood. wrong. Understood. And and I don't think he's the only person that feels yeah. that way. But that does not, by by no means, does that give any kind of tacit approval to what he did or what he didn't do, to be quite honest with you. It's John Valeca here on Dateline New Haven, the resident community, the resident criminal justice expert at WNHHFM. Uh, former top-ranking New Haven cop, current sergeant arms at the uh, Connecticut State Senate. Hey, John, police, you also did a lot of budgeting when you ran police departments. Right. And right now in New Haven, we have a budget. We don't have a crisis because we're not going to go bankrupt like Hartford. Right. But because we're not going to go bankrupt like Hartford, we're not getting the state aid Hartford is getting right now. So we have a proposal to raise our taxes 11%. People yeah, are up in arms about it. And one place people are looking at is the police department. Yep. For years, we've talked about high overtime. One year... I was so sympathetic to the police department because we were told after we created our budget by the state that all of a sudden we were responsible for running the pre-trial lockup that the state always ran and paid for, and that was a sudden couple millions that were going to have to be overtime. Right. But in general, we've had a long time overtime problems, yep. and, uh, and we were trying to hire more cops to deal with that. But right now we're running at $138,000. we are projected to run $138,000 a week in overtime, which is $7 million, almost $7 million a year. Yeah. So people are saying, is it realistic that you could just wipe? Is there a way to wipe that out without having to pay for it in other ways, like new cops? Because don't they say at a certain point, if you have some overtime, that's more cost-effective than having more cops or firefighters 
because if you had another position, you're paying yeah. benefits. But if you have too much overtime, it costs you more because it's time and a half, and a staff person would cost yeah, less. Yeah, you, you can. Um, I mean, you could let's say harken back to New Hampshire. When I, one of the things I was brought to do was cut overtime. They'd average two hundred twenty thousand a year for the past five years. That's a ten man department. That's a lot. We had to get that under a hundred. We did, and we, but we had to cut out programs. I mean, you're not going. The reality of the situation is. You're not going to get the same level of service. You're going to do but you less. Cut it. But isn't part of it patrol overtime or not? Most of it is patrol Like I know in the time. fire department, they have contracted yeah. rules about staffing levels. Yeah, we don't. That, okay. We don't, have, uh, we don't have a minimum mandatory but you, staffing. I've, I remember times over the years when you folks saying we're so short staffed because people are sick or we need yeah. new cops that we're having all these people working extra. We need two, let's say, um, yeah, this, citywide, we need two half citywide patrol supervisors on in a shift overnight right. for instance that well that's that's a high number considering that the bureau probably isn't isn't contributing a lot to that because we've been slow on major cases now if you have an uptick in major cases that number is going to go up don't forget um but yes in patrol you can cut it but here's the thing like i've been saying all along if you're tied to walking beach and you're tied right. to what you want to do it's expensive and that's all there is to it i mean you could you can you know politicians can argue with me about that all day long but the reality is, <clears throat> if you want to deploy the way they want the officers deployed, it's going to cost money. Now, now, politicians don't argue with you that it's expensive. But politicians say, like Tony Harp, who say they like this vision of community policing we had starting in the 90s, right. was that that gets you better policing. I know you have a really interesting nuanced yeah. response to this. Their argument is it costs more, but it keeps crime down. People get to know the cops. They're not just chasing a crime after it happens. I believe your argument was that a cop who's going to be a good cop and get out of the car and walk will do right. that even as a driving cop. And a cop who isn't will just spend time hanging out behind that, the bushes and, that's and drinking the truth. coffee. That's the truth. But can you make the city out? Because there is a whole theory. I remember Ray Hassett had this theory that says that just the more cops makes you safer, the more cops on the street makes you safer. Listen, I, I have much respect for Ray Hassett, but I'm going to break I with him I just brought him that. only because he wasn't a traditional I'm, community I'm policing person. I'm going to break with that. I, I certainly am not a... It wasn't a, Ray Hassett with studies. I mean, this was the, right. the logic. You know, the accepted it, conventional wisdom in the, in the aughts, the early 2000s, yeah. was that if you have more cops on the street, you have less crime. Right, but the, we, you, they don't, you don't hear from them when you have the same amount of cops and crime is high, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the reality of the situation is you could tell, you could say what you want about why you think crime is down. Um, but I'm not a believer that more boots on the ground, more boots in the neighborhood brings the crime down. I don't believe, I think that sends arrest rates through the roof. And I think that that degrades, uh, the relationship with the community and the police. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, and I always thought that you can achieve the same thing, community interaction with a park and walk assignment. Then you came with a walking beat and you get the best of both worlds. I always, mm -hmm. I always think that because I worked a park and walk and I worked a walking beat mm -hmm. and I could tell you my walking beat, I didn't do much, but in my parking walk, I did a lot. You know, most of the contacts I have to this day, the people that I still know in the hill that will still call from time to time, I met on a park. So what do we have around 400 cops now? I don't know if they're up that high, but they're, they're certainly shooting for that. And then how many cops do you think we could legitimately cut? I, I think, to be honest with you, when I was there, we ran the department on 347 cops. I don't think we were lacking in a lot of places. People will argue, argue with me about that, but I did alleviate a lot of walking beats, and people didn't like that. When was this? When you were acting chief, right? Even even when I was the assistant chief, I had a lot of say in um, a lot of that stuff. With when was that? Like around 2000? 2011, 2010. Even as lieutenant, when uh, Lewis and Lamont were there, um, I was kind of a resource. I had a lot of way, even though I didn't mm -hmm. hold it, hold the rank. And you felt that the city wasn't less safe. Crime, well, but crime was chief, at its crime was at its highest level than that it had been in, in two thousand eleven, right? But yeah. when Chief Lewis was there, and Chief Lewis was a proponent of the way I think as well. 
he did away with a lot of the walking beats, right? And he put them into different type of deployments, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, so you don't think you don't think it would drive up overtime? In other words, do I? What do I think? Lower number of cops won't drive up overtime if you just train them differently. I think you're going to have overtime with a lower number of cops, absolutely. But I don't think that you can get away with a lower number of cops. If you change the way you're deploying, if you don't listen, if you don't deploy as many walking beats, you're not going to need as many supervisors, mm -hmm. right? Supervisory. If you break down that number and you really extrapolate where you're spending that money, supervisory overtime is the expenditure. It's not on the officers. That's on the on the supervisors. You have a lieutenant going in there that's overseeing four or five different sergeants, and these guys are all on overtime. That's a lot of money, you know. So the more cops you add into the mix, the more supervision you need, right? That's that's where the money starts to pile up, and really, if you start to look at what the supervisors are doing, right, and, and I th and I, I think Tony Race is good at this, to be honest with you. He's assistant chief. It was running patrol, and I think a lot of a lot of the supervisors could could start to wear multiple hats, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of start in only handling one sector, you know, one one policing district, which means you know three sectors usually. You might be able if you're on if you're on the day shift. I mean, I don't, I don't see why one supervisor, one sergeant on each can't handle each side of the city. You have district managers who are in as well, right? So I think it's a matter of condensing the resources and using them to the best of your ability. I think Tony is good at that, and I think he he's good at getting into those numbers. And I think that, um, you know, but but also too, he can't deploy away from the the department's mission, right? If the department's mission is to is to send out a bunch of walking beats, he's got to do that. And he's just got to make everybody know that they're expensive. They're going to cost money. All right. Well, John Vileka, one last question. There was a demonstration last week about ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement Agency, the federal government, have been going to courthouses to arrest undocumented immigrants who were there for other reasons, right. including not having committed felonies or anything. And um, people feel it's making our cities less safe that, that, and that if they participate less in the criminal, whether it's trusting cops about their immigration status when the case doesn't involve that, or um, showing courthouses is making us less safe. The agents themselves say we got to do our job. We got to cast the people that are breaking right. the law. Yeah. You have a position on that? Well, I, the agents, you know, they're not the bad guys here. That's true. They do have a job. Uh, the general theory of that, no, I don't agree with. I don't agree with the, you know, motor vehicle violators. I mean, it, it, listen, if they're should know, they stay away from courthouses? Because they're right. They're doing the job the way they're told to do the job. Yeah, they, they, I mean, before 2017, they were told, don't go to courthouses. If they're looking, now if they're they're looking go to, to catch up with people, I mean, that's you know, that's where we would go to. If we were looking for people, That's a, that's chances are good they're going to show up to a courthouse, court appearance. So should they stay away? Well, if they're furthering their mission, then that's what they have to do. My personal opinion is I don't think they should bother with it at all. Well, John Vileka, I thank you so much for making time to come in, man. Oh, I, learned, I have nothing but time. <laughs> I learned so much about policing every time I talk to you. Thanks. And I hope our, our listeners did, too. I trust they did. You always make us think of it in a new way. You really listen to what people have to say as well. Thanks for joining us today on Dateline New Haven and WNHH Radio. Thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience. Performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Music